It's Wednesday, April 25th, and this is The Daily Dive. Alec Manassian, the 25-year-old suspect in the deadly van attack in Toronto, has been charged with first-degree murder and the deaths of 10 pedestrians and 14 counts of attempted murder. Manassian rented a van and mowed down people along a busy walkway in Toronto on Monday. Any reason for a possible motive has remained unclear, but an odd Facebook post may offer some clues. Manassian posted shortly before he went on his rampage, something suggesting that he may belong to an online community that resents women. We will speak to BuzzFeed reporter Brianna Sachs for more on what his post said and what it might mean to the investigation. We will also talk about President Trump's meeting with French President Emmanuel Macron. In a press conference that covered a range of issues, we learned more about the president's thoughts on North Korea, Iran, the possible fate of Dr. Ronnie Jackson, his nominee to head up Veterans Affairs, and some funny moments in the ongoing bromance between Trump and Macron. We will speak to Republican strategist John Thomas for more on that. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Joining us now is Brianna Sachs, reporter for BuzzFeed. So we're still trying to figure out a motive for why Alec Manassian drove his rented truck and uh, mowed down so many people. We did get a little clue today from a Facebook post that was on his profile, and Facebook has confirmed to multiple outlets uh, that it is authentic. What did he have on his Facebook? Facebook confirmed to us that this, first of all, it was purported to be like a hoax, this profile that was going around, but... He had a post minutes before that he allegedly started mowing people down and that private recruit Manassian, Infantry 00010, wishing to speak to Sergeant 4chan, please, along with some other numbers. And then he referenced the Incel Rebellion has already begun and we will overthrow all the Chads and Stacey's. All hail the Supreme Gentleman, Elliot Roger. Let's break that down a little bit. First off, the incel rebellion. What is an incel? And uh, I guess he identifies as one of these kind of people. Correct. So the word incel stands for involuntary celibate, which is an online community of men who are like sexually frustrated and they often channel that frustration into like anti-women hate, as I said, especially online. And it, uh, Reddit actually banned the community from their website last year because it incited violence. The incel rebellion, the fighting against the Chads and the Stacys, who are, who are these? Okay, so he referenced Elliot Roger, who killed six people in 2014 in Isla Vista, which is a community at the university, near the University of California, Santa Barbara. And he wrote this whole intense anti-woman manifesto, and he referred to these people who he was so angry about as the Chads and the Stacys, like, you know, kind of like your quintessential college uh, attractive women and men who he believed were just kind of like so out of his reach and taunted him. And he lived in existence of loneliness. And he said that all these girls were never attracted to him. And he was just very, very angry about it. So that's what, that's the guy that Manassian was praising yes, in the, his Facebook post. The, the Supreme Gentleman, Elliot Rodgers. Yes. And he referred to himself as that in, in his manifesto video right, before yes. he before he killed those people in 2014. And he killed, and he killed himself, yeah. This is my last video. It all has to come to this. Tomorrow is the day of retribution. The day in which I will have 
my revenge against humanity, against all of you. And and these Chads and Stacys, uh, generally, they kind of admire the Chads because they get all the women, and the Stacys, they kind of hate them because those are the people that are uh, rejecting them. Right, exactly. It's kind of this twisted mentality of that they don't fit in anywhere, you know, because the these, you know, girls ignore them and they only want the Chads, but they don't fit in with the Chads either. And so it's kind of like they're like this isolated, lonely group that will, so they choose to remain celibate and just um, perpetuate a lot of this like violence and um, advocate for sexual violence and hate against against women just because they feel rejected. And the meeting ground for most of these people is are on sites like 4chan and Reddit. Um, do we well, have a... before? Yeah, when Reddit Reddit banned them, but yeah, like they kind of live and flourish in the dark corners of of the web, correct? And what else do we know about Alec Manassian's past? Uh, I know former uh, classmates have said, you know, it, it, it ranges. People have said he was quiet and kept to himself. He was kind of a loner, but others right. said, and and some have said he didn't really have any violent tendencies. And then on the other spectrum, people said he, you know, was kind of a problem child, and he did have these types of tendencies. What do we know about that? Yeah, so we spoke with several of his classmates, people who knew him when he was younger, around nine, ten years old, and you know, they said that he had tantrums and a lot of behavioral issues, and he would hit, hit, hit people. And some of his classmates from Seneca College, they talked about how smart he was, and you know, they he was extremely bright and easily one of the best students in the class. But also, another classmate who has to remain anonymous told us that. On April 19th, after completing the last course he needed to graduate, he sent them a message that said, finally finished college, you all, and good riddance. So I think uh, just based on interviews with classmates is that he was kind of a loner. He was nice, but, you know, he was a little off. It's kind of your quintessential sounding male who just is obviously dealing with some mental health issues, or at least that's kind of like what they're looking into. Right. And and so he does kind of fit into this, uh, you know, stereotype of these guys on 4chan and Reddit, these uh, incels and guys who would look up to Elliot Rogers. He, so far, the picture that's being painted is that he does fit this profile. Yeah, I mean, it's still a very thin picture, like not as much has been released. Um, his social media profiles, which was different than a lot of the other instances we covered, were immediately removed. And there just has been like no trace of him online, which is very curious and and a little strange. Um, Literally, like the LinkedIn profile was the only thing that really people were grasping onto. Um, We do know that he spent two months in 2017 as a member of the name uh, Canadian Armed Forces. He did complete his recruit training, and uh, so that's kind of a, another aspect that we have, uh, another piece of information. Finally, witness reports were saying, you know, he was driving down the street like a video game, you know, aiming at people, just indiscriminately trying to hit as many people. But there are BuzzFeed, you guys were reporting that the majority of the people that were killed were female. Yeah, so this is a new update that authorities released on Tuesday was that the victims, and they didn't specify between those who died and those who were injured, but that the victims in general were predominantly female, and that he sent this cryptic Facebook post minutes before the uh, attack, and that, yes, the, the victims were predominantly female. And this area was, like, near his school, which I think is, you know, something to note. Yeah, he had a familiarity with it. Right. All right. Well, Brianna Sachs, thank you very much. Uh, She's a reporter for BuzzFeed.
this relationship is stronger than the events. And on top of it, we have uh, an excellent personal relationship. So I want to thank you for that. In fact, I'll get that little piece of dandruff for little piece. We have to make him perfect. He is perfect. Joining us now is John Thomas, a Republican strategist, to talk a little bit more about the meeting that President Donald Trump had with the French president, Emmanuel Macron. We learned a lot about the president's thoughts on a whole host of issues, North Korea, the Iran deal, Syria, the Veterans Affairs nominee, Ronnie Jackson, and most of all, a little more of this bromance between the French president and Donald Trump. Can we start there? What is going on with these two? Uh, everybody makes some jokes about these never-ending handshakes that they had. Uh, to, today, the president brushed off a little bit of dandruff off the French president's coat. Later on, they had another weird handshake, bro hug, and Donald Trump went in for like a little kiss. Are these two friends? What's the deal with them? It was remarkable to see the relationship that those two struck. And what's what's remarkable about it is they don't see eye to eye on every issue, Oscar. It is uh, on many things they see eye to eye with. I think uh, where they really began to hit it off was in the collaboration of the the strike in Syria that they jointly did together. I think they realized they could work together and uh, their interests align. And France was very strong in their willingness to participate in that in that strike. Right. And, and remember, France is also going through a more extreme uh, version than we are here in the States of radical Islamic terrorism because they haven't enforced their border laws. Uh, and so it's it's out of control in much of Europe. And uh, Macron's immigration policies could not be any more divergent from Angela Merkel uh, in in Germany, and so I think I think Trump and Macron see eye to eye on that. Where they definitely disagree is on the Iran nuclear deal. France and the United States also agree that Iran cannot be allowed to develop a nuclear weapon, and that regime must end its support. Of terrorism. I think the French president is looking at it as an issue that he can lobby and perhaps persuade the president. And if history is any indicator, Oscar, it's that, in fact, the president is malleable on a lot of issues. If he's lobbied hard enough with the right relationship, sometimes he flips. Give him enough good reason, you know, he might come to the table with something else. He might change his mind. That's right. Instead of a complete, you know, pullout, it might be a renegotiation. Um, who, who knows? I, I would be very surprised if Macron could get him to budge on this issue simply because that was one of his fundamental campaign promises was tearing up that deal. Um, the Republican establishment and just the hit Trump's base is so against that Iran nuclear deal. I don't know how he would evolve on that issue, but it's great to have a partner in Europe. No question about it. Right. Heads of state always play nice with each other. But, you know, it does seem that they are making that effort to get along and, and, and work together. It, it's a win for both Trump and it's a win for France. Right. Uh, it's a political win. Trump gets to prove that he can play along uh, with others and he's not the royal jerk that everybody <laughs> uh, on the left paints him to be. And then Macron uh, is a big win for him because he alone may be able to tame the beast that is Donald Trump and cooperate with the world superpower. So it's it's a win on both sides. And I expect this relationship to continue to bear fruit. 
A little more on that Iran deal. Why does President Trump hate it so much? I, I had seen that he didn't think it focused enough uh, on Assad and Syria. It didn't mm-hmm. go far enough to stop Iran from actually developing nuclear weapons. And then the release of all those billions of impounded Iranian right. money. The two main sticklers of the deal, and it's not just Trump that thinks it's a bad deal. I mean, uh, APAC, which is the number one uh, you know, pro-Israel lobby, thinks it's, it's just apoplectic about it. Uh, most uh, Republicans think it was a bad deal, and it's it's really for the two fundamental reasons. First of all, giving them something like I want to say it was like eight hundred billion dollars of assets that we had frozen, giving that back to them uh, allows them to fund terrorism and do bad things. So we don't want to give them money, which this deal gave them money back. Now, Democrats say, but that was their money. We're just giving them back their money. I don't care whose money it was, Oscar. Bad actors and bad states should not have any more power and money given to them unless you can assure that they can't do bad things. And the French president today even acknowledged that it's not the best deal, but we should still stay in there and and hold whatever control we have over Iran in the meantime. Right. I I, I just don't think Trump's going to buy that. And then uh, on to North Korea. Kim Jong-un, was uh, he really has been uh, very open and I think very honorable from everything we're seeing. The end result is we'll see. Maybe good things will happen, and maybe we're all wasting a lot of time. But hopefully it'll be good for everybody concerned. People were giving the president flack for saying Kim Jong-un is, has been very open and very honorable from everything that they're seeing. Uh, what do we make of this? Uh, is Kim Jong-un going to come to the table and get rid of his nuclear ambitions? <laughs> Uh, we'll see. I think what, what you're seeing on both sides is a, a little bit of politicking. Um, North Korea is saying that they've suspended their nuclear testing program, which is really a half-truth, because by all accounts, they were already done with almost all their testing. And then Trump, um, it, what he's trying to do is set up a productive negotiation by flattering Kim Jong-un and saying, you know, he's open to talking rather than going in saying, you know, I, I'm going to steamroll you and it's, it's, it's everything I want or nothing. This is the hardest thing any president could do uh, because Kim Jong-un understands that the United States doesn't have any good military options to neutering North Korea, except for war. Are sanctions hurting the North Koreans? Is that why there's this, you know, Kim Jong-un is trying to, quote-unquote, come to the table with this? Yeah, that's essentially the the choke point, uh, is that the U.S. has stepped up sanctions, and even China, who has typically been uh, enjoying North Korea that pokes at the United States, uh, China has gone along more with the sanctions than they have in the past. So you're right. It's it's essentially Kim Jong goes, we can't survive these sanctions forever. And so I'll come to the table now and see if we can make a deal. And we'll know more about the president's trip or meeting with Kim Jong-un after the South Korean president and Kim Jong-un meet later this week. Yeah, if, if, if the president is able to make a meaningful deal with Kim Jong-un, this is Nobel Pre- Peace Prize territory. I mean, this is uh, would be a signature achievement that if Trump literally did almost nothing else, this would be enough for him to hang his hat on. Right. And finally, on to Ronnie Jackson, uh, President Trump's Veterans Affairs nominee. He's an admiral. He's a great leader. And they question him about every little thing. If I were him, actually, in many ways, I'd love to be him. But the fact is, I wouldn't do it. I really don't think 
Personally, he should do it, but it's totally his. I would stand behind him. Totally his decision. Is his deal completely done after the president kind of gave him an out today saying, you know, if, it, if he, it looks, <laughs> why it would looks he do like it? it? It looks like it because the president typically gives his people the benefit of the doubt until the very end. And the fact that he's already giving the guy an out um, signals that I think he won't be long for going through. He just can't get confirmed. Yeah, he even, uh, he so, even said there's uh, Trump admitted there's an experience problem. I, I think right now he manages a staff of about 70 people. The VA employs 375,000 people. It's more of the it's the president's fault for nominating him. You know, the, the president's team should have seen this coming and should have nominated somebody um, that could get confirmed because it's not just a matter of even whether or not the president thinks he can do the job. If you can't make it through the confirmation process, what's the point? And here's the shame of it all, is that this doctor... Is, has been the doctor to multiple presidents. He's very well regarded on both sides of the aisle, but simply it appears in that capacity and not running the VA. I mean, there seems to be a vetting problem with a lot of the picks that the president has, has thrown out there. You He'll pick that. people that he likes, and you, then well, they you, won't make it through. The president's, I think, first and foremost concern is, does he like you, and can you be an articulate messenger in the media for what you're trying to, for the agency you're trying to run? Uh, and so that's one of the reasons he chooses Fox News hosts. You know, John Bolton's certainly very qualified, but I guarantee you one of the biggest assets was that John Bolton knew how to spin a soundbite. Uh, and I think they're looking at the same thing in, in the VA. Uh, and then add on top of it, there, it's the same problem they have with finding a good communications director, uh, is that people who are very well qualified uh, and that could easily get confirmed are apprehensive about working for an administration where they may get fired next week via tweet, you know? And so uh, it's, it's hard to find good talent. All right. Republican strategist John Thomas, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks. All right. That's it for today. Some other stories that we're monitoring. For the first time, Facebook has published its secret rules and guidelines for deciding what their 2.2 billion users can and cannot post on their platform. Here's a few highlights. No nudity. No confessions of crimes. Don't confess to theft or sexual assault, but you can debate or advocate that criminal activities be legalized. No trying to buy or sell marijuana or other drugs. Don't even express an interest in buying or selling drugs. No claims that a victim of a tragedy is acting, pretending, lying, or being paid to lie. It's considered a form of harassment. No insensitivity. Your post could get removed from Facebook if you target someone's vulnerabilities, such as diseases, disabilities, or premature death. And coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll speak to a professor from the University of Mississippi about a statue being erected at a courthouse. The origins have been considered controversial by some, and we'll dig into the history and details. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.